Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn, turn to the third chapter of John. Man, I like that Bible. You can take that and hit somebody upside the head with that thing. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. How many brought your Bibles? Good. John chapter 3. Let's begin reading with verse 22. I'm going to start out with the New King James and then we'll... Go to several other translations before we're finished. John chapter 3, verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now notice Jesus is baptizing. Now John was also baptizing. So we got two guys baptizing here. John was also baptizing in Eden near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Verse 25, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. And verse 30 says it like this, He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, let's read those last two verses. Turn me down just a hair, please. Let's read those last two verses in the New Living Translation. The NLT, the New Living Translation. Pastor Gary tells us the New Living Translation was written on a fourth grade level, so it's right in my sweet spot. All right? Verse 29 and 30. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him And hear his vows. (laughs) That is so true. I've been the best man on several weddings. And I'll sit there and so thankful. I'll sit there and say, thank you, Jesus. He's marrying that woman and not me. Glory to God. (laughs) I'm just glad he's up there. I'm glad he's getting her and I'm not. Hallelujah to God. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to... Stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Verse 30. He must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. Today, I want to talk to you about a subject that I've never taught on before. Never taught on it before. And uh, the Lord just dropped, been working on me. And been working in my heart about some areas. And I, sometimes when he puts it in you, you just got to preach it out. Just got to preach it out. Uh, I really like it when he puts stuff in my heart that Pastor Wayne needs. 
I really like that. I mean, I, I have no problem in preparation. Uh, I have no problem in preaching that with enthusiasm. But when he starts working on me, he gets a little too close. He cuts to the quick. So the Lord started working on me. And I said, well, you know, I just need to preach this out. I need to teach my people about this. So I'm going to teach you something I've never taught before. Never taught on this subject before. In fact, having cut my teeth in the Word of Faith movement. You know, I hung, hang around those Word of Faith guys. I kind of like it. I, I like people who are positive. I'd rather hang around positive people than negative people any day. I'd rather hang around people who are full of faith and people who are full of fear and doubt any day. You know? And, and that doesn't mean everything that's happened in that movement is, is perfect. But I still like to hang around people that are full of faith. And I've cut my teeth in that with Brother Hagin, Brother Copeland, and all those guys that you've seen and read about. And they're all wonderful and great. But in that movement, all you hear about is the word increase. And you hear about the word abundance. And you hear the word abound. And, and you hear the word more. You won't hear what I'm going to talk to you about today, sacred decrease. You won't hear that in that movement. In fact, I can almost say with certainty that none of you have been to a bookstore looking for a book on decrease. And I'll be honest with you, I've never signed up for a conference that teaches you how to decrease. We always want to increase. But today I want to talk to you about something that's a spiritual necessity in these last days, and that's sacred decrease. Decrease is a seldom used word in American spirituality because it is often associated with weakness, failure, and less than best. The word decrease literally means to make or become fewer in size or amount. To make or become fewer in size or amount. Here's some synonym words. Words that mean the same thing that we'll often use. Words such as lessen, reduce, drop, diminish, decline, or dwindle. How many of you have ever heard or seen or read parts of the Message Bible? The Message Bible. Anybody ever seen part or read parts of the Message Bible? The Message Bible was translated by an author, a poet. He was a pastor, and he, he's just a, a wonderful theologian. And his name is Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson. In fact, has anybody here got a Message Bible? Anybody in the room got a Message Bible? If you look at the Message Bible, it'll say Eugene Peterson. He's the one that did that translation. Well, Eugene Peterson says this. Christian spirituality is not about us. It is about God. The great weakness of American spirituality is that it is all about us. Fulfilling our potential. Getting the blessings of God. Expanding our influence. Finding our gifts. Getting a handle on principles by which we can get an edge over the competition. But truthfully, the more there is of us, the less there is of God. He says it well. John the Baptist was the first person in the New Testament who grabbed hold of this counterculture truth called decrease. He talked about it. He understood it. 
Now, John, here's what you've got to understand about John. He's the relative of Jesus. He came to earth through a miracle birth. He is the son of uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And they were old people. They were old people. And uh, he, he was the son of both. They wasn't supposed to have any more children, Wayne and Lana. They wasn't supposed to have any more children. Miracles still happen. You've got an empty nest now. Amanda and I are believing God. We believe it's time to produce some more musicians in your family. Hallelujah. Grandkids, grandkids, all right. Let's pick up the story. You might have, you might have forgotten the story or may have never have heard the story. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, I love this story. Luke chapter 1, verse 5, you got your Bibles, didn't you? Luke chapter 1, verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they both were very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when, he ti- and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right hand side of the altar of incense. Verse 12. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the, to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now understand, John the Baptist is not a run-of-the-mill preacher. And he's not doing this preaching thing as a hobby. His birth, his existence was proclaimed by an angel. He's unique. I don't know about you. It wasn't an angel that showed up and said, Big Ed Turner's on the planet. It wasn't an angel. I don't know. The Bible does record of of angelic visitations that give a few parents indication that they're going to have a special child. But that was the exception and not the rule. And John was one of those exceptions. But not only did an angel declare his coming, the prophets of old declared his coming. 700 years before he ever was born, turn over to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. The prophet Malachi says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. My messenger who will prepare the way before me. John is the messenger who prepares the way of the Lord. 
then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. In other words, Jesus will come, but before he comes, a messenger will come before him. And not only did Malachi predict that he was coming or prophesy that he was coming, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that he was coming. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 1. Isaiah 41. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord hands double for all of her sin. Verse 3. Verse 3. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In the wilderness, a one calling. That's referring to John the Baptist. So understand, John the Baptist is not your run-of-the-mill preacher. He's not doing this as a side job. His, His very existence was proclaimed by an angel. He was foretold, his coming was foretold by prophets 700 and 400 years before his birth. And not only that, Jesus, the very Son of God, makes an astounding statement about John the Baptist. We pick it up in Matthew chapter 11. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 7. Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. Notice what it says. As John's disciples were leaving... Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Okay, so Jesus is talking about John here. He says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? Jesus is saying, what did you go out there to see anyway? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Verse number 9, he says this, then what did you go out to see? Jesus says, what did you go out to see? A prophet? And then Jesus says this, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one that whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, now listen to what Jesus says about him. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than... Than he. Jesus made an amazing statement. So here's what we got. We got an angel declaring his coming. We got Malachi and Isaiah, the great prophets, declaring his coming. And we got Jesus saying, this guy is the greatest man who's ever lived on earth up to this time. So if anybody should have thought their uniqueness was worth attention, it should have been John the Baptist. Yet he says, I must decrease. Do you think that was a tough call for John? you think it might have been tough? Let me ask you this. Is it tough for you when somebody else gets attention and you don't get it? Is it tough for you when maybe you deserve the promotion and, but somebody else gets it and you get overlooked? Is that tough? Let's go back. Go to John chapter 3 again. Let's look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 22. Notice what it says. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Eden near Salem because there was much water there. 
So we got two guys baptizing, Jesus and John. Both of them are baptizing. Verse 25. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples. Verse 26. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, or teacher, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified. In other words, they're saying this. That fellow that you testified about that said he was the Messiah, that Jesus guy, he says here, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Now get the picture. We got two preachers baptizing. We got John the Baptist baptizing and we got Jesus baptizing. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist's disciples come to John and say, Hey, you know that guy that you talked about earlier? Turn me down just a little bit, please. That guy that you talked about earlier? He says, more people are coming to him than are coming to us. He's getting more accomplished than we are. He's being more successful than we are. Now, notice their concern. Their concern is the success of somebody else's ministry other than their own. Verse 26, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. The Bible doesn't tell us what is the root cause or the motivation behind their concern for Jesus' success in ministry. It doesn't tell us why they were concerned about that. But I know this. I have to ask myself the question, what is the root of my concern when I am bothered by someone else's success? What is the root of my concern when I am bothered by someone else's success? It's not always a problem for us when we hear about others being blessed or promoted. In fact, most of the time we celebrate with them. We're excited for them. But then there are a few times, though, It just doesn't sit right. It just doesn't feel right. In fact, when we hear about their promotion or their blessing, it bothers us. Anybody know what I'm talking about in this room this morning? What is at the root of that uncomfortable feeling when someone experiences a public win or a promotion? What is at the heart of those bad feelings when we've given someone a hand up, a hand out, or an opportunity, and now they've surpassed us? Where's that come from? Why do we get upset when a family member gets something and we know they've acted like the dog and they still get it? And we needed it. Why do we get upset about that? The Bible doesn't tell us why John's disciples felt threatened by Jesus' success in ministry. It could have been jealousy. Maybe they were jealous. I know that never happens to any of you. (laughs) You never get jealous of anybody. Well, you know, people just run to a new thing. They just run to a new thing. They just run to a new thing. Whatever's new, they're going to go do it. They'll leave you in a heartbeat and just go over there and do it. They just want a new thing. Maybe it was just jealousy. Maybe it's territorialism or entitlement. This is our area. These are our people. What do you mean coming in and baptizing with us? You go to another river and baptize. This is our area. 
You can't be baptizing in our area. I remember years ago, Amanda and I were youth pastors and bus pastors in Memphis, Tennessee. And I didn't know anything about bus ministry. The pastor just hired me. He said, I want to hire you as a youth pastor. I said, okay, I'm, I love youth. I'll, I can go. And then when I got there, he said, oh, by the way, you're the bus pastor. I said, what does that mean? He said, I, we got three buses, and I want you to fill them up every Sunday morning. So I didn't know anything about buses. So I went down to a Baptist church and found out they had over 100 buses. And I went down and saw how they did it. And they, I spent a whole day with their bus pastor, and he'd tell me how they do it. And man, we had some of the most money. One time I took 200 bus children to the Memphis Zoo on a Saturday. That was a trip. You know, when you're young, you'll take some risks that you normally wouldn't take when you become of age and have some sense about you. And after four or six hours, we got back on the bus and we headed back up outside of Memphis. And I looked back there and I was missing two kids and had two monkeys. I had somewhere, somewhere a switch had taken place. I remember one time I was, I was running a contest and says, if you bring the most on your, the bus that has the most, we'll have a goat to ride with them on the front seat on the way home. Do you know what goats drop when they're, It's nasty. And it was terrible to me picking that goat up and putting it on the front seat and tying that goat into that front seat. What was really crazy is taking a picture when the driver, when the driver was diving down the road and there on the front seat right beside him was a goat sitting in the front seat. I think we lost some church members over that. That church down there, they'll do anything to count people. They even have goats. But I remember every Saturday we had to go out and visit. We'd go out and visit the children and the neighborhoods that we were coming on Sunday morning. And this one Saturday, I went out in, with this bus and this bus team. And we got out to about eight or nine miles away from the church. And there was this other church, like our church, Simile of God Church. And we turned around in their parking lot and came back. I didn't think anything about it. The next Saturday when we're out there visiting... We get up to that church, and they've got big barrels across the front of their parking lot. And I'm thinking, hmm, well, can't turn around there. We had to go down to another dirt road and back up and turn around. I'm thinking, well, they must be getting ready to pave their parking lot or resurface it or stripe it or something. And then the next Saturday, we went out there, and the same thing. But the parking lot wasn't paved or anything, just big barrels. So I couldn't turn around. I thought, that's strange. And I happened to be out there on Monday following that Saturday, and the barrels were gone. So the next Saturday, we went on that same route, and sure enough, big barrels blocking the parking lot so the bus couldn't turn around. I thought, what in the world? So this time on Monday, I intentionally drove out there, and the barrels are gone. So I just, young and dumb... I just pull into the church parking lot and go in and see the pastor. I say, hey, pastor. I said, I notice on Saturday you have barrels blocking your parking lot. Today you don't. I know you don't on Sunday. Are you trying to send me a message? Are you, are you upset or something? He said, well, I'm glad you finally showed up. He said, by the way, yeah, I am. You can't, you're not allowed to turn around in my parking lot. I said, okay. Is there a pro- What's the problem? He said, this is my territory. And you're not allowed in my territory. 
And as a 22-year-old youth pastor, I thought, this is so wrong. Until about six months ago. I'll tell you when, you know, I'll tell you my, every once in a while I'll have a win, but I'll tell you I have a lot more failures than I have wins. And I'll tell you about them too. I was driving down Desjardins on my way on a Sunday morning to church. It's 8, 7.45, 7.50. I'm driving. And I see some people at Oakland Middle School doing signs, putting signs in the ground. I said, I wonder what Oakland's having. And all of a sudden, they stepped out of the way, and it said, Life Point Church meets here. I said, look at her, Amanda. Life Point Church, that Baptist from Smyrna, they come down here in our territory. <laughs> Came out of my mouth before I realized it. I said, what in the world, what in the world are they doing down here? Don't they know this is our area? I mean, it came out of my mouth. I went back to 20, I went back to years ago and I heard that pastor. This is my territory. This is my territory. And the Spirit of God said, it ain't your territory. I'm the Lord of the harvest. It's my territory, not your territory. And then I felt pretty good about it. The ones who ought to be upset ought to be Bel Air Baptist and Calvary Baptist. It shouldn't be me. They're, they're getting their people. They ain't got no tongue talkers. We're going after the tongue talkers here. I, uh, at Trinity, we, we had a real active Royal Ranger group and working with our young boys on Wednesday night. And, one of our leaders moved up to another little community up, uh, up on the mountain, Monterey, and, and uh, he started going to a little church where he lived up there, an independent church, and they didn't have anything for boys. So he wanted to start a Royal Ranger program. He came to me and said, Pastor, would you sponsor us to start? I said, yeah, shoot, yeah, yeah, be happy to. Just want boys blessed. So he ordered the materials and started a Wednesday night Royal Ranger program. I thought this was great. He'd send me reports about once a month. Had eight boys, had seven boys, had 11 boys. They had four leaders trained. Now all of a sudden I get a call from headquarters. The Sanhedrin called me in. <laughs> I get called into the Sanhedrin. They said, what in the world are you doing allowing an independent church and you're paying for them to have a Royal Rangers? And the pastor of that little Assembly of God church up in that town was there. He said, what are you doing allowing them to do that? I said, well, he, he was part of our Royal Ranger program. He went up there. There's no Royal Ranger program. You don't have a Royal Ranger program in your church? Nobody had a Royal Ranger program? I said, I just wanted to help them reach boys. He said, you can't do this. This is our territory. I said, well, you don't even have a Royal Ranger program. He said, no, I don't. But it's still my territory and I might want to have one. 1989, 27 years later, that little independent church doesn't have a Royal Ranger program because he wouldn't let them have it. That Assembly of God church still doesn't have a Royal Ranger program. And hundreds of boys have grown up without the opportunity to hear the gospel through boys' ministry because it was his territory. 
Maybe that's what John's disciples were fussing with. This is our territory. He don't need to be here. I don't know what the motive of their heart was. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was fear. You know, if they get real popular and people start going to them, they'll stop coming to us and we'll lose our jobs. Maybe it was fear that made them feel bad when Jesus' ministry started being successful and theirs was kind of going backwards. I don't, the Bible doesn't teach us what it was, but it was something, they had heart clutter in their heart. Maybe it was an offense. You know, the Bible lets us know that some of the people that were with John as his disciples left John and went to be Jesus' disciples. So maybe some of the John's disciples were offended at their friends who at one time were working with them doing baptizing and now are going and baptizing with Jesus. So maybe they got offended. We taught them boys how to baptize. I mean, we taught them where to hold their nose and how to put them down and how long to hold them and how to bring them back up. We're the ones that taught them about baptism anyway. Now they're doing it on their own, and they're doing better than us. So maybe it was offense. I have no idea why they got offended. But it's obvious they had something in their heart. Heart clutter. And it was blocking their view of Jesus. Every one of us have some heart clutter in our life. Can I encourage you to join me on a journey? For the next 30 days, to decrease the heart clutter in your life. You say, what do you mean? Eh, Might be regret. Some of us have the heart clutter of regret. We make mistakes. We've made mistakes. We've messed up, made some poor decisions. And now we just live in kind of in regret. It holds us back. That's heart clutter. Could be sorrow. Some of you have lost precious loved ones, parents or spouses or children even. And it just... It's always with you. That sorrow is always with you. Maybe it's time to turn that over to the Lord and move on. Can I, can I tell you the heart clutter that I found in my life? That the Lord is working in me, out of me right now? It's the idol. I had an idol. It's the idol of uniqueness. The idol of uniqueness. The idol of uniqueness becomes developed in our lives when we're looking for something to separate us from the pack. We use that special something about ourselves to give our life meaning and purpose. Well, you know, I'm special because I can do this. I went to this school. I have this aptitude. I'm special because I can sing better than them. I'm special because I can do this talent. I'm special. We're always looking for something. And in fact, our uniqueness becomes an idol in our life. Each one of us are unique. Here's what you need to understand. Each one of us are unique. You don't have to work to be unique. You're already unique. We are custom crafted by God's hand. And there's not another one just like you. Thank you, Jesus. Each one of us are stamped with specialty. 
You came out a unique, one-of-a-kind model. In God's eyes, you don't have to do anything or say anything to stand out to Him. You are already unique. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But the idol of uniqueness says that's not enough to give you value. What God has made you is not enough to bring value to your life. Your value is achieved by your talents and your accomplishments and your abilities. Your purpose is good because no one else can do it like you. So your uniqueness becomes an idol in your life. So then if somebody else does it better or somebody else gets something that you think your uniqueness should have brought to you, you have hard feelings toward them. And these feelings of rejection rise up. And these feelings of jealousy rise up. It's just the idol of uniqueness. I was raised in a town where we was the only Pentecostal church. We were surrounded with Baptist and Church of Christ. And there was only 50 in our church. And I wanted to be accepted by my friends in high school. I got elected president of the class, which was unheard of for a little Pentecostal boy to be elected president by the Church of Christ and the Baptist. But it got to the point that on Sunday nights and Sundays, I would, when my parents would pull in to the parking lot, I'd wait till all the cars went by, and I'd run in. So none of my friends would see where I went to church. And I was constantly trying to excel to be accepted by them. I wanted to be unique. And it set up an idol in my life to the point that I began to skip my value by what I could do. Oh, who else? Who else took a church in a town of 2,000 from 30 and took it over 2,000? You name Joel Osteen, shoot. <laughs> if you can't build a church of 20,000 in Houston with 11 million people, you might as well quit and go home. Let him come to all good. He's got, he's got 20,000 and there's 5 million in the city. I got 2,000 and there's 2,000 in the city. We're not talking about impact. We're talking domination. Come on. And that became an idol in my life. So when somebody else got blessed or somebody else got promoted or somebody else got attention, I was always comparing myself with them. And these bad feelings would rise up in me. And I didn't want to feel that way. I really didn't want to feel that way. Where was this coming from? Why was I feeling that way? I knew it was wrong. I should rejoice with them. The friend of the bridegroom rejoices when he hears the bride's voice. Why was I feeling these feelings? The idol of uniqueness. The idol of uniqueness says that's not enough to give your value. It's your accomplishments, your talents. The idol of uniqueness sounds like this. We're the only church in town that holds the standard of holiness. We're the only ones that move with the Spirit of God. 
The idol of uniqueness says our company's value is greater than your company's value because we're the only company in town that can offer this. The idol of uniqueness says I'm here and I'm the only one that can do this. The idol of uniqueness will cause you to fall prey to the sin of comparison. Comparison. The Bible says, don't be unwise in comparing yourself with others. Why does he say not to compare yourself with others? Because when you start comparing, one of two things will happen. It will either shame you to silence. And if you get shamed to silence, you sit down. Because somebody's always better than you. Somebody's better than you. And if you're just living your life in comparing, then when you see somebody better than you and you know you can never get there, you'll just get frustrated and sit down. So you'll either be shamed to silence or you'll be incited to arrogance because you realize you're better than them. And the Bible says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let me close with this. Though we're all custom crafted by his hands with unique talents and abilities, we're special. Not because of what you do, not because of what you have, not because of what you've accomplished, but because he just made you that way. And though we're all custom crafted by his hands with unique talents and abilities, our core calling is not unique. We are unique, but our calling is not unique. Our core calling is gloriously common. Jesus has called every one of us in this room and every Christian in this city to do the same thing. Follow me. Just follow me. He calls every one of us to do the same thing. Follow me. How we go about following will be different because we are unique. But the calling is the same to all. Follow me. Just follow me. So when I see other people being blessed by God, I can just rejoice now because my calling is the same of them. Just follow. Now if I follow what God has told me to do, the blessings will come my way. Because He's no respecter of persons. (laughs) Do you remember that story in the New Testament, book of John, at the end? Peter and Jesus are talking. Jesus says to Peter, Hey Peter, hey Peter. Do you love me? Peter said, yeah, 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 yeah. You know I love you. You know I love you. Jesus said, okay, here's what, uh, feed my sheep. Peter said, hmm, good, revelation. I got it. A few minutes later, Jesus says, hey, Peter. Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Peter says, hmm, didn't he just ask me that? I think he just asked me that. He said, well, maybe he forgot. Uh, Yeah, Lord, I love you. And Peter said, or Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. It wasn't five or ten minutes later, Jesus says, hey, Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? And Jesus, Peter said, "What's, what's this all about? He's already asked me twice. And you can hear some frustration coming out of, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know everything about me. You know my heart. You know I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus said this. 
When you were young, you walked where you wanted to walk. You went where you wanted to go. You could see what you wanted to see. But there's coming a day where someone else will lead you by the hand. They will take you where they want you to go. You will only see what they tell you you can see because you're going to go blind. And the Bible says this was the death. Jesus was telling Peter about the death that he was going to incur. And Peter's listening to this. Jesus just told him, one of these days, this is how you're going to die. And Peter looks at him and says, hmm. well, what about him? And he points to John. He said, well, how's he going to die? You told me how I'm going to die. Now, what about him? Sissy boy. He wouldn't stand up for you. What's he going to do? How's he going to die? And you know what the Bible says? Jesus said to him, don't you worry about him. That's between me and him. You follow me. You just follow me. Just follow me. I've got a word for you today. If you're at odds with somebody at work or somebody in your family, if some jealousy or envy, some territorialism, some offense has risen up because they got something, they got mama's table and you didn't get it, they got granddad, granny's picture that you didn't get. They got a promotion at work that you didn't get, that you really deserved. And it's starting to cause some a division. That's heart clutter. And it's time for that to decrease. Listen, John the Baptist understood that he should not be the gaze of people's attention. His role was to be the lens through which people look through him to see Jesus. Your life and my life should not be to get attention, to get promotion. It should be everything we do is just a lens that magnifies Jesus in a greater measure. So if somebody else gets blessed, I can, I'm the friend. Yay! I'm going to follow him, and if I'll follow him faithfully, my day's coming. My day's coming. Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.